You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 37 of our show. Where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, October 8th, 2015. I'm Victor Marks, and with me is our managing editor, Neil Hughes. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Neil. And also with us is Mikey Campbell. Hello. Do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, you can get your site live today. With hundreds of templates and easy drag-and-drop features, it's simple to customize, and there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. Go to wix.com and create your own stunning website. It's easy and free. Leading off with this week's news, we're going to talk a little bit about Steve Jobs. We have a Steve Jobs movie out. There have been reviews. There have been interviews with the cast and the crew and some controversy over accuracy. But it's also four years since Steve Jobs passed away. Neil, what happened with the four-year anniversary? Uh, A lot of stuff going on this week. A lot of... um uh, comments being made by Apple executives, uh, just kind of commemorating four years since Steve passed away. Uh, company-wide email was sent out by Tim Cook on Monday to everybody just to kind of talk about how, who Steve was to him and how Steve was kind of a family man, but he also took his position at Apple very seriously and loved the employees there and everything that he had built and how important all that was to him. Um, and then on top of all that, you have this movie, which is opening in select theaters on Friday that is kind of a fictionalized take on Steve Jobs' life and who he was to the people around him and stuff like that in a way to kind of express how he made them feel, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin. So it's just a lot of uh, Steve-related news this week. Yeah. Mikey, what do you remember about where you were four years ago when Steve Jobs died? I think I just... uh, I think he passed when... I think the news broke while I was sleeping. (laughs) So... Uh, I remember finding out when I first logged on, I think, um, for work, probably. I was in the UK, and I just watched the keynote where we'd seen the uh, the, the seat reserved but not occupied. And it was just after that keynote, basically, um, UK time when I got the, the news. And it, um, you know, it was a really, really sad time for me. I, I didn't know him. I never got close to meeting him other than trips to the campus where I saw his car parked there when I was meeting other people. But uh, there's a reason, I think, why, why Jobs resonates with us and why people are still trying to make movies about his life is, is um, sort of the, the distilled version. I think Johnny Ive said this, and you wrote about it in one of the pieces this week, about uh, what's left after all people are done talking about him is this distilled sense of trying to make things, trying to put a dent in the universe, and not being fenced in or boxed in by the, the rules that define what you can or can't do. Yeah. Neil, you agree with that? Yeah. I, I think that that's a pretty accurate assessment of it. I never had any personal interaction with him. I remember it was brought to my attention once because Apple does not have a particularly great relationship with our publication in terms of uh, talking with us or <laughs> because we kind of exist to expose their secrets. But I remember uh, at some point during the uh, the iBooks uh, deposition and the process that was going on there, there was a a disclosure. And I guess uh, some story that I had written years ago um, about Apple negotiating with book publishers was uh, emailed to Eddie Q by Steve Jobs. So it was funny for me just to see that he had been reading the stuff that I had been writing all those years, even though I never had any real communication with anyone at the company. Tell us about the movie. Yeah, so um, I got the chance to go see um, Steve Jobs, uh, the film written by Aaron Sorkin, uh, on Saturday as part of the New York Film Festival um, press screening. 
And um, I did a review that we published on Saturday, and a lot of people in the comments are just upset about the fact that the movie exists, which I understand and certainly entitled to that opinion. Uh, they really don't like the fact that all the conversations and uh, – uh, uh, things that happen in the movie are kind of made up to kind of paint a portrait of who Steve Jobs was to those around him. Yeah, but but never mind those guys. Did you enjoy <laughs> the movie? I, I uh, really enjoyed the movie. I think a, a biopic, or as some people call it, a biopic. Um, I think that it's a tough movie to make and to make exciting. Uh, they tend to be pretty standard uh, narrative structures and. A lot of times you get a great performance out of uh, a biopic, but the movie itself is kind of paint by numbers. And so what I really liked that Sorkin did with this was he tried to do something new and different. Um, if you didn't like The Social Network, uh, which is another Sorkin scripted movie, then you're not going to like this one. Uh, because very much like The Social Network, this one uh, takes some liberties, obviously, with the characters and, their, and, and what, they're, what they say to each other and how they interact with each other. The biggest uh, egregious thing for me in The Social Network was uh, obviously about Mark Zuckerberg and the founding of Facebook. Um, in that film, kind of the impetus for Mark Zuckerberg founding Facebook was he wanted to uh, attract a girl. Um, and in real life, Mark Zuckerberg has been dating the same woman for many years and married her a few years ago. And they're having a child together now. So it was a completely made up uh, purpose for him narratively in that film. So, right, but this is a film about jobs. So, was there anything egregious that bothered you about this film? No, I, I thought it was a, a pretty um, fair take on it. It was very humanizing, um, and it was honest. I mean, I, you know, obviously everybody knows that Steve Jobs was a difficult guy to deal with, but uh, it it gave some purpose um, and some meaning to and some context to it in a way that was very interesting and really the heart and soul of the film is um is steve jobs's relationship with his daughter uh lisa brandon jobs who at one point he denied was his and over the course of the film they kind of start to uh understand each other and come to terms with one another and then to a lesser extent there's also steve's relationships with steve wozniak and with john scully which are very complicated and and a lot of heated dialogue there and uh, really, the, the core of the film, though, is uh, Steve's relationship with Lisa and also uh, with Joanna Hoffman, who was very close with him and was known in um, inner circles as the only person who could really stand up to Steve and, and that he would listen to and respond to. And the movie kind of gets all of those elements pretty well, and, and you get to see the dynamic of those characters. Obviously, the fact that it's set during uh, right before the launches of three major products over the years, uh, the first Macintosh in 1984... Uh, the next computer in 1988, and then the iMac when Steve returned to Apple in 1998. Uh, very, uh, almost to the point of silly, uh, that everybody would come and you know start bothering him 20 minutes before he's got to he's got to go out and give a keynote. But it creates a heightened sense of drama and excitement uh, for a subject that could otherwise be kind of dry and, and boring. Um, and it's really well acted. The script is really well done. Um, I, I really enjoyed the film quite a bit, and uh, I would recommend that anybody at least go in with an open mind and see it. And I, I noticed you called out that three-act structure. What I remember reading about some of the Q&As with the cast and crew was that they filmed it in, in 8mm, and then they filmed it in six in 35mm, and then they filmed it again in the third act in HD. Yeah. And um, wasn't one of the actresses' comments... That you know they they treated us really well with the film and then they went ahead and <clears throat> us over with the HD. 
Yeah, that was uh, Kate Winslet who plays Joanna Hoffman, and uh, the whole cast of uh, main characters was there. Um, Walter Isaacson was there, uh, who is the author of the biography on which it's based. Um, and Aaron Sorkin was there. The star Michael Fassbender was there. Director Danny Boyle, and they all talked about the film for a bit. And everybody was pretty excited and, and uh, passionate about the subject. Um, and I think I think generally everyone had good intent on it. I think that there's a bad feeling about this movie in a lot of ways because a lot of people don't like Walter Isaacson's book. And I agree with that assessment in a lot of ways. I feel like Isaacson's book was very clinical, boring. Um, and I wouldn't say that about this movie at all. Um, I think that a lot of people feel that Isaacson's book focused too much on the negative aspects of Steve and, and who he was. And I felt like this movie really gave Steve a fair shake and uh, tried in many ways to try to explain who Steve was and why he was the way that he was, both good and bad. I've always sort of wondered, I figured it's a hard subject to write about. And, uh, you know, you wonder if Isaacson went so far to be negative because it was so easy for him to be positive, having been close to him, having been the authorized biography. Could be, yeah. And... uh, you know, we were making all these movies. These movies are basically glorification, or or at least start out that way. Although clearly some of them aren't. Um, the other one, the Gibney one, is uh, is also out. And have you seen that one at all, Mikey? Yeah. That Gibney movie. Yeah. Neil recommends that we see the Aaron Sorkin one. Do you recommend we see this one? Um. Yeah. I mean, it had a it had a lot of things in it. A lot of um, archival footage that is kind of difficult to find on its own and it collects it all in one place um you just have to go into it knowing that there is uh there is a bias on the part of the documentarian gibney um but i mean if if you have that in mind then it it's actually a quite enlightening experience to to uh to see all that old footage of jobs and and his uh, mac team and a little bit of next sprinkled in so yeah i mean it's a good uh it's a it's a good counterpoint to a dramatic retelling of Isaacson's biography. So do you see it for the history, but not necessarily the documentary and storyline? Yeah. 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 You could say that. So we ended up the Sorkin movie focusing on the 1998 IMAC launch. Is that right, Neil? Uh, That's the third and final scene of the movie. Yeah. That takes us right into the uh, the rumor about the iMac launch for next week. Neil, tell me about what's in that iMac. What, what's the rumor? So uh, there's already a 27-inch iMac with Retina Display, 5K Retina Display that's been around for a year, um, and Apple has not yet retinified its uh, smaller 21.5-inch model. We've known for some time that it's coming. Um, the supply chain has been talking about it. There's evidence within um, El Capitan that... Uh, shows a 4K resolution display. So uh, we know it's coming this fall, and specifically now the rumors are saying that we're going to get it next week. But not only that, there's also um, uh, evidence that we're also going to get new accessories to go with it. So uh, El Capitan's latest beta, um, 10.11.1, beta 3, also includes references to a Magic Trackpad 2, a Magic Mouse 2, and then also a Magic Keyboard. Uh, Those are paired with um, FCC filings from back in uh, August, which showed that uh, they are going to include integrated batteries, so no more need for double A's, so now you'll recharge them, uh, maybe through lightning, we'll see. Uh, But I would imagine that they will also feature, at least on the trackpad and the mouse, uh, we will have some form of 3D slash 
force touch capabilities uh, to kind of bring it up to speed with the rest of Apple's product lineup. I don't know what will be magic about the keyboard other than an integrated battery, but maybe we'll see some changes there too. Well, I was hoping for the uh, the new key switches that we saw in the MacBook keyboard. Yeah, that's possible. A nice thinner design potentially. Yeah, keyboards are one of these things that people are very finicky about, right? Right. What's your favorite keyboard? My favorite keyboard? Yeah, you're a writer. What's your favorite keyboard? I don't, I'm not really very picky about keyboards, honestly. I, I don't. I know everybody, you know, has their, you know, they like the old IBM, whatever the hell that thing is. Yeah, the model. Um, yeah, I really don't care very much. I can adapt and type on pretty much every keyboard. I'm a touch typist. I don't uh, need a backlight on my keyboard. I don't use it. Um, and I type very quickly and I can adapt to all kinds of keyboards. It's never really been a big issue for me. So you're not one of these these so there are people that love the model 1 like you named. Yeah. There there are people that are fans of the Apple Extended 2. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right that that big old hoary keyboard that had the uh the the slider that adjusted the elevation of the back of the keyboard. People have gone so using the iPad camera adapter kit to make that thing work with iPad. <laughs> people love these things, right? People I, yeah, are I know. finicky about their keyboards. Um Mikey, do you have a favorite keyboard? Yeah, the DOS keyboard. It, well, I mean, for currently available keyboards, that would be my my favorite. Right. So the DOS uh, keyboard is a recreation of the Model One. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. It uses uh, mechanical keys or from. Um, it uses uh, those ca- Cherry key switches, doesn't it? Yeah, you can choose from Cherry, or you can use the Cherry Brown or the Red. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of different models. Um, depending on what kind of clickiness you like. But that that's probably my favorite keyboard right now. Also, I mean, I don't use it very much, um, really, because I just rely on my MacBook. And that keyboard is, is great. I mean, I can type fast on it and with little error. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a great keyboard as well. I, I have gotten accustomed to the keyboard in the MacBook Air, and I know it's about the same keyboard as in the MacBook Pro, but the palm rests being there on the Pro changes it for me. So mm. I am looking forward to seeing what this new keyboard, the Magic Keyboard 2, looks like, works like, feels like. Have you used the MacBook keyboard? The 12-inch MacBook? Uh, only in stores. And what did you think of it? Liked it. It didn't did bother not. me at all, but... Uh, I, I didn't really like it. I felt like I... I don't know. The lack of um, uh, Y-axis movement kind of... Not enough uh, depth for you? It kind of made me... Mm, I don't know. I think I'd have to get used to it. It's a different, it's a different tactile experience. I, I didn't like aesthetically what they did with the oversized escape key and the larger left and right arrow keys. I thought that was pretty strange. Uh, but in terms of typing, it was fine. But then again, I'm the guy who uh, circa 2003 had a uh, Dell Axum palm or a, a, a handheld thing with a that fold-up keyboard. That was a Windows keyboard. PC, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. I, had a, I, had a Dell, I had a Dell Axum with a fold-up keyboard that would like fold flat. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the I was in college. Folder, right? That was the four-folder accordion? I, it was a, it just folded in half. It oh, was okay. a, it was a Dell keyboard and but it was Bluetooth and it, it, you know I could probably break it out now and still use it with an iPad if I really yeah. wanted if I could find the thing. Targus but, made a version of that same kind of thing that folded up into four pieces, into quadrants. 
and collapsed on itself. Yeah, and I would use that thing in class, and I would put it, and I would type notes on class, so I wouldn't have to carry a laptop with me, and I loved it. So I'm not super picky about keyboards. Wow. Well, this episode is brought to you by BizFilings, where you go to incorporate with step-by-step guidance from on-demand experts. If you want a job done right, you've got to go to the experts, and when it comes to incorporation, that means BizFilings. With more than a million incorporations under their belt, the people at BizFilings know all the ins and all the outs of setting up a business for success. They'll break down the process for you, outline the fees and forms, and work closely with the state so you know exactly what to expect every step of the way. BizFilings was founded by entrepreneurs who set out to build the kind of experience they'd want if they had to do it all over again. A straightforward site loaded with tools to help you understand your options and make the right call. With the resources at BizFilings, there's no need to put off incorporation any longer. Get started today with a free guide at bizfilings.com start. That's bizfilings.com slash start. I know you and I, Neil, we talk a lot about airplay. We talk a lot about, a lot about speaker systems and audio stuff. And I know, Mikey, you reviewed a ton of this stuff. Yep. Apple launched the Beats Pill Plus. It's an mm. airplay speaker. Tell me what's in it. Tell me what's going on with this thing. It's not an airplay speaker. It's not. It's a Bluetooth speaker? It's a Bluetooth speaker. I don't care for any of the Beats stuff. You don't care for any of the Beats stuff. It's a Bluetooth speaker. So it's basically, what? let me guess. They took the existing Beats pill. They made it larger, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's Bluetooth, so the last one's Bluetooth as well. Did they put the controls that were on the back, put them right up on top this time? They're on top this time, yep. Oh, all right. Cool. And since they made it larger, it's probably not going to roll around like the other one did. Did they make a flat surface on somewhere? Yeah, it's got a flat uh, top and bottom, and then it's rounded on the sides where the speakers are. And it's got two... Um, uh, woofers in the center and then two tweeters on the outside. It's the same basic design as the pills before it, um, but they just move the buttons around. And then on the back, uh, they've got auxiliary input and it actually recharges via lightning now, um, which is interesting to me uh, that Apple is kind of going, they're doubling down on lightning. Um, a lot of people were thinking USB-C was going to be the new standard for Apple going forward after the new MacBook, but it seems like their uh, consumer-oriented um, iPad, uh, iOS uh, devices, and Apple TV are all going lightning. Never doubt the ability to extract a licensing fee from MFI. <laughs> the, the lightning connector has a license to it, even the, if it's Apple's own, but they're, they're making the female port accessible and, and usable for third parties. So... My bet is this is a speaker to show the way for third parties to use that lightning port. Yeah, I'm excited. I think I think it's cool. I would have been fine if they found a way to charge the MacBook over lightning. Honestly, I think lightning is great. I I like lightning. I like USB C. I'm waiting to see how it shakes out and if one wins over the other in the long term. But leave it to Apple to stick with a standard for far longer than anyone expects. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, think back to FireWire. Yeah, I think this makes it pretty clear that Lightning, for all the people that were concerned or thinking that maybe Apple was going to switch to USB-C uh, on the iPhone in the future, it's just not happening. Now, I did say AirPlay, and I was wrong about that. But we do have an AirPlay story this week, don't we, Neil? Yeah, uh, the new Bowers & Wilkins uh, speaker uh, was announced today. That's a high-end $400 speaker, uh, and it does have support for AirPlay built in, which uh, I found to be kind of interesting because, like you said, Victor, you and I have talked about this a lot and our love for AirPlay and how convenient it is and how nice it is to use. Unfortunately, AirPlay support seems to have pretty much dried up from a lot of these companies. You don't get a lot of uh, AirPlay speakers. Not even Apple's making them right now. So uh, the fact that this one has AirPlay I thought was pretty neat. 
So is this the uh, is this a big zeppelin? Is this the the seriously wide um, blimp yep. shaped thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is the third version of this they've made. They made the original zeppelin that was a thirty pin dock, and they made the second version, and uh, and this is the third one now. Yeah, and I was wrong on the price. I said four hundred. Sorry, it's uh, seven hundred dollars. <laughs> That's a wee bit different, isn't it? Yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> uh, I I remember that the earlier versions. Oh well. You were thinking pounds, right? In British pounds, it's four ninety nine. Yeah, four ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did have an Airplay Zeppelin. This is the second Airplay. I think the first, the, the second version of Zeppelin was an Airplay one as well, but it was among the very first Airplay products to come out, and uh, it was so early that it didn't have a good path for how you got it onto your networks. So you had to use a laptop, go to a browser page, enter in the information in the browser to get. The, the old Zeppelin onto the network. This one should be much smoother. I, I really just enjoy AirPlay. I enjoy the uh, ability, if I'm playing music for my Mac, to stream to multiple speakers at once, have multi-room sound. Um, Wait, how are you doing multi-room sound from your Mac? Are you using iTunes? iTunes? Okay. Yeah. iTunes has a built-in support. Unfortunately, iOS does not have multi-room sound support. Uh, but iTunes does. So if you load up your music on your Mac, you can say, I want to play this in the living room and I want to play it in the game room, but I don't want to play it in the the dining right. room or something like that. Um, so I really enjoy that. And I use Airport Express with that. Um, and then sometimes I use it with my Apple TV. But the problem with that is you got to turn on your TV yeah. and all that stuff. Whereas when I'm using um, an Airport Express, I can just have a speaker plugged in that's just always on. And so it's just, bam, take out my iPhone, bam, open up my Mac, just start playing music. Everything's ready to go. And it's just constantly waiting to fire up, which I love. Now, you mentioned iOS. And so my tip for you for iOS is have your Mac open, have iTunes controlling all of your speakers. Use the remote app. Yes, Yes. On iOS. Mm-hmm. And you'll then be able to control what iTunes is doing. You can even do that on uh, Windows PC if you're that unfortunate. Uh, if, if you've chosen that path, yes, you can do that with the Windows <laughs> PC. Speaking of Apple TV, because you mentioned your Apple TV in this setup, Apple released is, is announcing that they're going to release uh, an Apple TV Universal Search API for third-party developers. So one of the big things coming out of Apple TV was Universal Search, right? Yep. And... Cook confirmed that developers will be granted access to the API so that they can have universal search for their apps included within Apple TV. So that means when I say, hey, Siri, find me all of the James Bond movies with Sean Connery, it's going to search all of the things available to it, including these third-party apps, right? Right. Cool. Am I the only one looking forward to that? Maybe. I mean, I'm not sure. (laughs) Are you subscribed to a lot of different services or? Um, Some. I have uh, I have Netflix, I have Hulu, and I'm always considering swapping out Hulu for another service, especially after well, my most recent experiences with Hulu. So, you know who should be excited about this is Amazon, even though they're insane and they have decided to stop selling uh, and are kind of going antagonistic in many ways with competing devices from their own set-top box, which I don't think anybody is buying. Um, the, uh, you got to think that Amazon wants to put Prime Video on here and integrate with the search, right? I mean, I I don't think they do, or they would have done it by now. I well, mean, I, we don't know what's going on there, right? D- is it because Apple didn't want to have Prime Video on there, or is it because Amazon didn't want to have it on there? Well, we can extrapolate because Chromecast invites everybody and doesn't care who you are, and they yeah. expressly chose not to, and they blocked other people from making Prime Video work with Chromecast. I don't understand this at all. I don't get it. 
And speaking of Chromecast, I updated the Chromecast app on iOS today and got Universal Search on Chromecast now. I, 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 don't, I just don't understand it because if, if you're Amazon, presumably you make more money off of uh, selling Prime subscriptions than you do off the hardware, right? That's their business model, right? Yes. So what do they care? I mean, if they sell you an app, if they sell you a, a Amazon Fire TV, it's at a loss, right? Or at least break even. Um, they're they're making some margin on it. They're not making lots, right? I mean, their pricing is the same as a Roku, is the same as a Chromecast for the stick. Actually, it's more than the Chromecast for the stick. They've got margin. They're making money. Do they? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. I'm not understanding their logic there, especially with the way they do everything else with Kindle and all that. I don't get it. I, I think someone said that, you know, they were tired of having Prime subscriptions be largely bought for the free shipping and wanted Prime subscriptions to be bought for the video service, making the video a first tier thing instead of a secondary or tertiary tier. And this is one of the ways they think they can push that. Maybe they're wrong, but that's that's kind of what they're thinking is, is how do we float the video to the top by axing the one that sells, you know, in the top six of all video streamers on our site, apparently, because that was Chromecast. It sold like crazy on Amazon. I do know someone who bought a Firebox after their most recent announcement. And yeah, they, they have a new upgraded one. With, the new upgraded uh, one. Yeah, they have a gaming one, too. Yeah, I have a friend who, who went all in. He bought the game controller and everything. Yeah, what does he think? Uh, well, it either is arriving today or it arrives tomorrow. <laughs> well, Mikey, you reviewed it, right? What did you think? Yeah, the first Gen 1 was, um, I mean, it was all right. It wasn't anything to write home about. Uh, gaming was, uh, <laughs> it, it was very, it was very first gen. Right. The gaming. Uh, I haven't. I haven't played any of the games that. Or have has Amazon's Game Studio come out with anything? Yeah, yeah. They've come out with a few games, and they contact us because not only are they coming out with games for their own platforms like Fire OS, but they're also releasing those same games on iOS. So Which games this are is, those? I, I don't know what the names of any of them are. I haven't played them, but we get press releases for them and stuff. But this is where I get confused because in some ways they're just embracing uh, multi-platform. In many ways, like Microsoft is doing now, um, just kind of going, hey, let's just put it all out there on every platform. We'd prefer if you'd use our platform, but if you're on iPhone, you know, we want to get you hooked into the ecosystem. And then with this one, it seems like they've put their foot down on TV, and I don't know why. Well, Amazon's not really a software They've put their foot down on books in the past, right? I mean, they're... Well, well, that was because of Apple's App Store terms is the reason there. They didn't want to give Apple a cut of the sales through the iTunes Store. Uh, they're, do, you, do you think I'm wrong that they're trying to make video a first-tier thing for them? Am I, no, I, I think, I, 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 no, I think you're right. I just don't understand why they're putting their flag in the ground on that and not anything else. I, I think what we're missing is there must have been a meeting somewhere. And someone got a little emotional out of the meeting, and the answer was, you know, one of these screw me, screw you kind of things. <laughs> and and we don't know that that was the reaction, but it sure feels like that. This, this is it, someone's emotional response to a problem. It, it feels weird, and I guess we won't really know until the new Apple TV has been out for a little while and see if there's an Amazon app on there. But, you know, you're right. It's not on Chromecast, so we're probably not going to see an Amazon app on there for a while. And considering how they do everything else, I think that's pretty stupid on their part. I agree. 
Well, I can give you a story. Like, for example, this week, um, my parents were on vacation this past week, and my mom uh, lost her Kindle. She had a Kindle Paperwhite to read you on, which she loved. You were telling me about this, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, my parents don't really know a whole lot about technology. They're a little older. Right. And, didn't, uh, didn't your dad ask that he why, – why shouldn't he get the Fire one? Yeah, so he goes onto Amazon's website, and he sees – because they have it all laid out there, and it's an upsell, upsell for um, Amazon. So they're in many ways trying to dissuade you from buying a – Kindle, the old-fashioned one, because they have their standard tablets where they can sell you more content, like movies, TV shows, and they want to up to sell you to that, even though it's cheaper. So my my father goes on there and he looks at it, and the Kindle Paperwhite is you know one hundred thirty dollars or whatever, and they're cheap and they don't use a lot of technology. So he's going, oh, I don't want to spend one hundred thirty dollars to buy it because I bought him the original one as a gift, and now they see how much it costs. They're like, oh, we don't want to spend that much. So he he emails me and he says. Why would anybody buy a Kindle over a Fire tablet? Because he looks at it and he sees, oh, the Fire tablet has a color screen and it plays movies and it only costs 100 bucks because that's what the entry-level model costs. <laughs> and I tried to explain to him. It's like, well, uh, you can use your Kindle uh, for like 40 days uh, of straight reading without the battery dying. Um, you have a much easier on the eyes black and white screen. Uh, and by the way, that hundred dollar, yeah, yeah, sunlight reading. And then by the way, that hundred dollar fire tablet is a piece of junk. It's runs slow and it's got a proprietary OS that you're going to have to relearn how to use. And you're not gonna be able to get all the apps you can get on an iPad or even in many ways, an Android tablet. And it's got this like content first operating system that's designed to sell you movies and stuff. So that's why you don't want to spend your money on that. But I can see where a lot of consumers go on there and they just go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll buy this. And they end up with a bad experience or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think Amazon serves a market for people that like low-end tablets. And you can see that they focus a lot of their stuff. Like they have a kid-friendly tablet that comes like, you know, wrapped in like a rubberized case. So, you know, they can toss it around. And I think it has like a lifetime return policy. Like if anything happens to it, you can return it and get a new one. Um, but it, there's, there's there's something about Amazon stuff that just reeks of desperation, isn't there? Uh, I, I think the problem is that it's schizophrenic, mm -hmm. right? Some of it's totally desperate and some of it's very confident and some of it's just kind of they don't even care. And you never know which Amazon you're dealing with at the moment. That's true. I mean, has anybody heard about their phone in a year and a half? Like they announced it and then it immediately – just died. Man, when they started putting the packing tape on boxes advertising the phone, I was sure I was going to open up the box and find a phone inside the <laughs> box, right? That's that's how desperate I thought they were about the, the, the phone. The option would be uh, free two-day prime shipping or get it next week and we'll give you a free phone. And I would have said yes because, <laughs> you know, why not? I would have tried out the phone. But th I think those phones got to be available for like 100 bucks now. If that, probably give them yeah, away. Like probably said. less than that. Yeah. Well, speaking of things we're not giving away, I want to talk about SoftLayer. And SoftLayer delivers a cloud built for flexibility. Your business application's computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your needs. And SoftLayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform, all on demand, all connected to the same open API, and all connected to a global private network, allowing you to scale your workloads up and down quickly and have ample space for your storage-intensive tasks. SoftLayer is an IBM company, and IBM uses SoftLayer as its cloud infrastructure for all of IBM's cloud products. All of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P. 
You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services from your choice of data center, and there are 24 data centers around the world. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for flexibility from Softlayer. Microsoft. We talked about Amazon and Amazon's tablets and all of their woes. Let's talk about Microsoft. Microsoft has been making kind of a comeback in the past few years, right? They, they started out by throwing out pocket PCs. Your old Dell Axum stuff is completely gone. <laughs> they, uh, they, they moved to a new interface that was at one time called Metro and is now just called the Windows interface. And they've slowly been unifying these things. So they've now arrived at this thing where they've got Windows 10 on the phone, Windows 10 on the tablet, Windows 10 on the desktop. And developers can cross-compile and have their app run on all of these things all at the same time. So, so they've, they've come to this one OS convergence that we thought WebOS was going to do, that we kind of thought for a while Mac OS and iOS was going to do. And what, what are they doing lately? They had some huge announcements, right? They talked about the Surface and, and all this stuff. What's going on there? Well, I mean, they released the new Surface book, right? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what it's called, Neil? Yeah. Yep. And also the Surface um, Pro 4. So Surface the, 4 Pro. I don't know. What do you think about that? The uh, Their first laptop ever. I, I kind of think it's ugly, but it's kind of enticing at the same time. What do you think I about mean, its hinge? I think it's the most interesting product that Microsoft has released in years, if not longer. <laughs> uh, I mean, who knows how successful it'll be, but I mean, it's it's interesting, it's unique, it, it's got people talking, it opened eyes. Um, for a company that didn't seem like it knew what it was doing for a long time, and you know, slowly getting into the hardware business with things like the Zune, and the the Surface RT. Hey, I still have my Zune. Do you really? Yes, well, I do. <laughs> I I, um, I got to give Microsoft credit on this one. I, I didn't see it coming. I mean, I'm not going to buy one or anything, but uh, it's a little ugly. But it's a interesting product, and it's doing something different. And uh, I definitely see a use case for something like this. And honestly, this is where I would like to see the iPad Pro go in a few years or sooner. You know, I talked before about how I'm excited about the smart connector. I would love to see some sort of keyboard style docking station that could boost the battery life or even the performance of the device and allow you to use it in different ways, you know. And so I would like to see with this new Surface Book, let's have different types of uh, accessories and docks that you can connect the tablet side of it to. So it's a laptop on the go, more of a desktop at home, you know, other potential uses, other accessories you can connect it to. Uh, there's all kinds of potential. I think in many ways that's going to be the future of computing in these devices. Combine that with access in the cloud and the ability to bring all of your information with you everywhere um, and have any of these screens kind of turn into your personal computer and the type of computer you want to use at that time. I think that's pretty exciting. So I was talking with a friend who thinks a lot about music production and music performance, and he was saying that the the Surface Book represents a threat to the iPad Pro. Yeah. That there are a ton of digital audio workstations on iPad, but none of them are Ableton. Ableton does work on Windows. This thing runs Windows 10. This thing becomes the, the performing musician's tool. It's... Um 
a little unfair to compare them because first of all, this the iPad Pro starts at eight hundred dollars, and this thing starts at fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, so they te- they seem to be uh, going for different segments of the market. And Microsoft was talking a lot about the MacBook Pro uh, and talking about how this is more powerful than a MacBook Pro. A little unfair comparison because the um, Surface Book has uh, Intel's next generation chips, whereas Apple hasn't yet upgraded to the next generation Intel chips. So a uh, more direct comparison will come about when Apple updates to uh, whatever the code name of the next generation chips are. But um, I think the most interesting and exciting thing in this for me is when it's in tablet mode, um, it has you know your, your Intel processor and all that within the screen so it can operate on its own. But when it docks with the keyboard, it gets not only the additional battery, but it also gets a GPU that is found in the keyboard portion yeah. of it. Really cool. Yeah. But so let me ask, because I was trying to figure this out, and the specs page was written a little weird for me. It gets the GPU in the base, but are yeah. there bases that are sold without the additional GPU? And no. So, okay. So that's what I'm saying. You know, a few years from now, I think you're going to see a few bases, and you're going to have you're going to buy the tablet, and you're going to be able to dock it with different kinds of stuff. And I think this is kind of where we're heading, isn't it? Doesn't well, it feel it, that way? It's it's one view of the future. I don't know if it's the only one. I feel like that's how you do these converged devices. I think it's inevitable. I mean, it's, it was one of the promises of Thunderbolt way back was that you could use an external GPU. Oh, I wish they had done that. How cool would that have been if they had released a Thunderbolt display with a GPU in the display? You could dock your MacBook Air to it. On the go, you have a super light laptop, and then at home, you plug it in, and all of a sudden, you have way more graphics power. Well, there were these uh, these PCI Express or PCI Extreme or whatever the, the, the connector People was. People Right? That, that plugged into Thunderbolt. So you could do that kind of thing was the idea. Nobody made one, though. They were just hacked. There was no official sanctioned yeah. Thunderbolt GPU. But the technology was capable of it because of the throughput of it. The the There was enough speed and bandwidth there to have an external GPU. People hacked it as proof of concept. But I, I feel like that is there's a lot of potential for something like that where you want a super low-power device on the go that's going to get... 15 hours of battery life, 20 hours of battery life, really light, really thin. But then when you need that extra horsepower and you don't need to be on the go, you can turn it into that and it can become that device. And I think that that's what this is in many ways. It can be a laptop and have more horsepower or you can just grab it, throw it in a backpack and have a, la- a nice little tablet that works. Wild. Wild. That, that's It's a cool view of future of computing. It's, it's a modular view, but I... Yeah. But Apple's always been kind of opposed to this modularity, so it's it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Well, I think they're changing. I mean, if you buy an iPad Pro, you can get a pencil. You don't need the pencil to work with the device, but that's a new input method that opens new ways of computing with a device that you couldn't do before. Uh, same thing with the smart connector. Um, you can connect this keyboard to it, and it doesn't have to be a powered keyboard or a plug-in or anything like that. It attaches magnetically, and it can be nice and thin and give you this laptop-style experience on the go. Um, so I, I think even Apple is heading in that direction very slowly. Well, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that you're right. Let's talk a little bit about 4K video. There was an article that was posted on Apple Insider that says that the iPhone 6S shoots better video than a Nikon DSLR. <laughs> and it had a ton of comments. And I, I did the terrible thing. I violated rule one of the internet and I read the comments. <laughs> so first lay it out for me. What 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 really was the article saying? Uh, there's a, a professional photographer who did a video comparing his Nikon to his iPhone success in terms of video. High-end Nikon that shoots video but doesn't do 4K. 
um, and the comparison of the quality in terms of uh, obviously resolution, but also in color reproduction and stuff like that. Uh, shot in broad daylight was much, much better on an iPhone 6S than it was on uh, his expensive Nikon camera. So uh, that's just kind of a testament to how far consumer electronics have come. And, you know, this photographer was just saying that in the future, companies like Nikon need to make sure they include 4K video support and things like that to their high-end cameras because it's important to photographers. Yeah. So the comments, if I'm going to quote one of the commenters. Oh, boy. The, yeah, here we go. The, uh, the gist of the comment was that this is a silly article because and a silly test because the Nikon was on its default settings and the iPhone was, was adjusted and tinkered so that it would be the very best of its settings. No. This is a fair comparison even if not entirely um, one-to-one because you have to remember it wasn't that long ago that DSLR cameras didn't even shoot video. You could spend $5,000 on a camera it wouldn't even shoot video. Um, so you, DSLRs have been shooting video since 2009. I know. I'm just saying it wasn't that long ago. That's only six years ago. Okay. Your iPhone was shooting video before a DSLR is my point. <laughs> so uh, if you're comparing like that, you know, consumer level stuff and things that people want to do with their cameras as it grows, uh, the argument here is that Companies like Nikon need to step it up and start inclu- including kind of prosumer type stuff like 4K video because it's applying to everybody, including high-end photographers. Definitely. Now, there's also an iPhone-connected 4K Steadicam. You and I have been talking about Steadicams for ages, right? We were talking about how to try and shoot better video. What, what's interesting about the Steadicam? Um, it's from DJI. Uh, it's called the Osmo. They just announced it um, <clears throat> as we're recording today. And $650 uh, has a gimbal on it, three-axis gimbal, and an integrated camera. And uh, it gets super smooth 4K video. And it connects to your iPhone to allow you to act as a viewfinder and also kind of control the uh, uh, the video and switch between modes and shoot photos and stuff like that. Uh, but it uses the same technology that DJI has been using in their um, drones, so the, they have gimbal technology and live streaming technology. So it's kind of taking some of that stuff and turning it into a Steadicam. Right. And, and sort of a, a part of the first story about 4K video is that the iPhone 6S photos are sharper and they have better color because the A9 chip and the 12 megapixel sensor are working in concert. Are the, the photos are better than the, the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus as well? Yeah, it's a more higher megapixel count. Um, the quality is is improved, and if you have the um, the larger uh, 6s Plus, you also get optical image stabilization not only on photos but video as well. And I know Mikey has both phones, and he's been testing that out. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it's pretty good. It works as advertised. Um, from last year, I mean. The main difference, of course, is the resolution boost. Um, I saw a few, a few color differences or color representation differences between the 6s and the 6s plus. Um, I'm not sure why that is, uh, since it's the same sensor, and same image um, signal processor so but it's a different lens right because it's hardware OIS on the 6s plus you know the the um, it's the same it's the same lens it's the same glass it's mm-hmm. just a different it's a 
set in a different stabilizer, right? I mean, well, uh, there, there, you have. I mean, for hardware OIS, you have to have a different mechanism in there because it actually physically moves. Yeah, no, no. I'm saying the the color is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe that's why. I, I, I'm uh, not. Is, is that a part of the sensor where they said they were putting in? Um... No, I'm mistaking. I'm I'm confusing the keynote. I was thinking back to when they said they they'd made these the the barriers between pixels to prevent bleed. The deep trench. No, yeah, that's, the deep trench. That's yeah, the display, no, it, not the camera. It it's um. No, that 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 was the camera. Oh, okay. it's. Sensor. I mean, it's the same Sony sensor, mm-hmm. and it should reproduce the same colors. Um, that I mean, between it wasn't even in the video um, settings. It's it's slightly different. It's a different saturation. Um, the six S is slightly less desaturated, um, especially with the greens and the blues. Uh, so I'm not really sure. It might have been just that one unit. So it had more greens and more blues. The six S plus the the greens and blues were more pronounced and okay. they popped. Um, whereas the six S is a, a little muted and um, probably a little bit truer to life, I guess you'd say. So it could have been just those two units. There there might have been a difference in manufacturing or something. Yeah. Well, if but, if you're a photographer, which one would you choose? Uh, if I was a photographer? Yeah. If, if you my... want to shoot videos and this is your camera, if you want to shoot photos and this is your camera, which one do you get? <laughs> um, I would probably say the 6S Plus. Uh, it, the image stabilization is, is pretty, it's pretty amazing for the video side. Um, you're still going to need, if you're a pro photographer, I mean, and for some reason you're using an iPhone to capture your footage, you're still going to need uh, a setup around the iPhone. It's just not it's a, it's a, it's an okay platform to build off of, but it, it's not complete by itself by any means. It doesn't I mean, there's no... Oh, I agree. We've, we've seen things like Beast Grip that adds lenses and carrying for it. We've seen people do different types of mounts to get lights on it. it, it it's not a mm-hmm. thing on its own. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I saw the Phil Schiller tweet where he was talking about different news organizations that are using the iPhone as their platform for television. Uh, a Fox channel in Charlotte, North Carolina did that for a while. There's another channel that's doing it, another station that's using it. And, and he said that the, uh, you know, the iPhone's future will be televised, basically, was his tweet, because yeah, people are using it as a pro setup. Now, Mikey, I want to go back real quick to the DJI thing. Do you view this as a, a potential GoPro competitor? Because to me, I think that uh, the biggest problem with GoPro right now is the shakiness of the footage just inherent from mounting oh, on everything. God, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a different, I don't know, it's a different form factor, right? Uh, I mean, it still has a handle on it because it's a gimbal, but yeah. I feel like this is where GoPro needs to go next. Stop making your stuff smaller and thinner, and let's build in some hardware OIS into it, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, always... What? Do you I, use software? Use software to, to I wanted to, Yeah, I wanted to do it like Hyperlapse does, and like we looked at that other Kickstarter, Neil, that had the uh, accelerometer yeah. that plugged into it and did it after the fact in software. But they still end up blurry and stuff. It doesn't work that well. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to well crop it <coughs> down. You, you you lose the uh, the outer edge of the video to crop it down. But yeah, you do. But a lot of times they end up blurry too when you do this uh, after 
Uh, yeah, when you whenever you, you pass it through a, a software extrapolation like that, it's going to add artifacts to the video. Yeah. But I mean, uh, of course, right now mechanical is the way to go. But I don't, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we've gotten so used to the GoPro like shake that it kind of adds to those videos in some way. <laughs> I, I think for some things, yes, but I think that that's where GoPro really needs to go next to stay relevant um, as your iPhone gets better and better and better. I mean, you can go and buy now these um, like GoPro-style cases and mounts, like a hard case for your iPhone with swappable lenses on the front um, and mounting stuff so you can put it on your chest and whatever, and you can basically use your phone as a GoPro. So when you can start to do that kind of stuff and your phone is shooting this this amazing 4K video, how does GoPro stay relevant? I, I, my theory is that this ability to have stable shots built into the camera in some way um, that goes beyond what an iPhone can do is, is kind of the next big thing. Mm, yeah. I mean, they should concentrate more on building out the camera platform as a platform instead of just making it, shrinking it down in size. Um, and charging the same price for it. But, I mean, they have good market position, and I think one day they'll, they'll curry to the fact that that's what the consumers want. Mm-hmm. I don't think consumers are really that keyed into optical Im- image stabilization yet. Uh, I feel like it's still kind of like a... It's not like a, it's not like a tentpole feature, Yet, yeah, but yet. maybe with, I mean, with Apple, you know, bringing, bringing it to the forefront, uh, I guess, more people are taking notice. Just bring it to the six, please. The four point seven inch phone. Give it to everyone. Yes. Well, this has been our Apple Insider podcast, recording on October eighth. I'm Victor, and we've had Mikey. Yep. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at Apple Insider or on the Twitter at Mikey Campbell 81 and our esteemed managing editor Neil Hughes <laughs> where can people find you on the internet sir well you can read me on Apple Insider and I'm on Twitter at this is Neil excellent and if we shrink Mikey Campbell down and charge more for him next year we'll tell you all about it next week on the Apple Insider podcast Don't forget, if you want a job done right, you've got to go to the experts. And when it comes to incorporating your business, that means biz filings. With step-by-step guidance from on-demand experts, incorporating a biz filings is the next logical step. Head to bizfilings.com slash start and get things rolling with a free guide.